Yes, well, thank you for that, Andrew. And again, a welcome to all who are here with us today. I just got to say, it is great to be back. Can we, can we echo that, perhaps? <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. And we anticipate even uh, kind of a growing of people in attendance with us in the days ahead as we try to do so in a very, very safe and appropriate manner as well. Well, this is the first time that I've had a chance to stand here with people in front of me beyond Zach and Reg since the middle of March. And uh, it, it's a real joy to be able to do that too. I'm sure the worship team appreciated having some people <laughs> with them as well today. Uh, it's, so it's good to be back, but also I was off on two weeks uh, vacation, so it's good to be back from that too. Uh, and thank you to the staff and, and all the volunteers who helped to hold things down in my absence. Not that I hold everything up by any means, but there are some things that they step into the gaps for me, such as Sunday morning uh, teaching. And uh, Andrew and Thena, thank you for, uh, for continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, that's called Be Fruitful where we're talking about these God-born virtues that other people can experience through us, that, that when we are a follower of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, there are these God-born virtues that he can manifest, and other people can experience those through us. And in my absence, there were two that were covered off that I think are important for us in general, but especially during the COVID season, because we're being asked to put some of these things into practice nowadays in particular. For example, Thena spoke on the topic of peace. And there's many people in our lives, perhaps people who are watching or people who are here with us today, who are saying, no, I need peace. There's this uncertainty. There's this turmoil. There's a, I'm not sure how I'm going to deal with what's happening in my life right now. And peace that surpasses understanding is much needed during this time. We've also been asked to practice patience. If you've gone to a store or to a mall the last little while, you have to line up. It, patience. <laughs> Even perhaps as you walked into the sanctuary here today and we were lining up a little bit, we asked you to practice patience. It's something that is happening particularly during this season. Well, today we're going to talk about another virtue we need to put into practice during this time in particular, and that being kindness. Now, kindness, generally speaking, in our lives, the world around us, is defined as a quality of being friendly, uh, of being generous, perhaps even being considerate and compassionate to people at times. And we see this in small ways throughout our lives. If you're ever walking into a store and, and you get there a couple steps ahead of somebody, you'll stop and you'll open the door for them. It's an act of kindness. You go oh, after you and you allow them to go in ahead of you, an act of kindness. Perhaps if you were at home and you asked some children to do chores or, or you ask your husband to do some chores or uh, if you're an employer with employees, you will offer them a compliment. Say, that was a job well done. I couldn't have done it better myself. It's an act of kindness through words. And then there's the, the classic act of kindness at the Tim Hortons drive-thru, right? We probably all know this classic one where you, you pay for the coffee of the guy behind you and then you want to see how long you can get that chain of act of kindness going on. Well, I was curious as I thought about this week as to what the record is for the most consecutive cups of coffee that were probably paid. And as you can imagine, that's difficult to track because how do you keep track of who paid for whose coffee going backwards? But, but here's what actually happened. is Back in 2016, Tim Hortons started this national kind of pay-it-forward campaign where they released 100 special edition Tim's cards. And they challenged Canadians to share a hundred, sorry, 10,000 free cups of coffee in 10 days. 10,000 cups of coffee in 10 days. Well, in true Canadian spirit, you can imagine that the Tim Hortons guests exceeded that goal. 
And he actually paid it forward 12,000 times in a 10-day period, with one of those special edition cards being used 1,119 times across about six different cities that it traveled to pay for coffee. Acts of kindness and small things. But during this COVID time, uh, West Meadows is also made up of very kind people, I believe. We, we had our, our uh, We're Here For You campaign that we launched during that time, where there was a team of very kind, generous people who wanted to step into the gap during that time to serve our congregation and our community. And, you know, we didn't know kind of where this was going to go and how it was going to work out. But, but without going into long details and stories, what I can tell you, is that team of people has run errands for a number of individuals, whether it's to pick up some groceries or prescriptions or to drop something off for them. They have uh, also contacted me at one point and says, hey, can we buy flowers for people? Absolutely we can do that. And so we bought flowers to drop off to people, and we, we gift baskets for those who are going through a special or a difficult time of life just to, just to give them a little something of appreciation and say, hey, we're thinking and praying for you. We had regular uh, handwritten cards being sent out to, to individuals so let them know that we have not forgotten, even though we can't see you, we have not forgotten you. At the same time, there were people who were going through phone calls to, just to check in. And recently, our children's ministry launched a kind of a adopt a senior friend program where kids are making and sending cards to some of the seniors who are disconnected as well. And that's starting actually a little bit of a, almost like a pen pal kind of thing back and forth, which is a beautiful act of kindness as well. And so whether it's through big or through small things, these are all examples of acts of kindness. And, and so let's just stop right now and thinking of, of what's happened these last little while. And, and can we just thank our volunteers? If you're online, you can just collect, you can type thank you. If you're here with me, can we just thank them for the kindness that they've shown? Absolutely. Because that's all worthy of celebrating. But if that was the whole story, I could probably just wrap up this message right now and we could all go have lunch. But there's probably a little more to the story than just that. Because if we're honest, then we sit back and think long and hard enough, we know there's also moments where we could have, but we didn't take these steps of kindness. These moments of decision where we could have, but we didn't take that opportunity. Now, I'm not suggesting that in the gap, you filled that gap with meanness. I'm not suggesting that we did that. Kind of the opposite of kindness of being mean. But what I'm saying is that, is that there is sort of this natural human tendency to sometimes turn a blind eye. These opportunities that come up. Where when you get to the door, you know, if that person was three steps behind me, I would hold the door for them. But it's like eight steps. And I have to stand here for a second, and that would just get awkward. If I had to stand here. So I'll, I'll turn a blind eye like I didn't see them behind me and just enter and go in. Sometimes we're stuck in traffic and we are tired of being in this lane and we're getting closer and closer and closer to getting through it. And a car comes up beside us and wants to merge. Moment of decision. Do we let him in or do we ride the bumper of the guy ahead of us? Moment of decision. Sometimes we turn a blind eye. Other times we see perhaps a, a child who's being picked on or bullied or teased. We may think to myself, well, it's not my friend. It's, it's not my son or daughter. I'm not joining in. And so I'll just ignore it and step back. These things happen. We, we know they happen. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands and say how many times and who's guilty of these things. But we know that these things happen. And we have to take into consideration when we look at a whole picture of understanding this term of kindness. You see, kindness is more than just being friendly. Kindness is more than just not doing harm. 
Because if that's all that it was, then simply the absence of meanness, simply the absence of doing anything, and you could consider yourself being fruitful in the fruit of the spirit of kindness by doing nothing. But I want to suggest to you today is that kindness that we're going to talk about, the definition and the examples and the, and the understanding of kindness that I want us to understand here and leave this place with today is not the absence of doing something. Instead, it is about the presence of something. It's about the presence of something. And kindness is this. Kindness is acting, not retracting from opportunities to contribute to the happiness and the well-being of others. It is about acting, not retracting from opportunities to increase the happiness and the well-being of others. So acts of service are examples of moving in, pressing in to help somebody and to increase their happiness and well-being. Offering a helping hand, offering to, to give a kind word, to extend forgiveness. These are ways that we can press in and actually actively contribute kindly to another person. By definition, therefore, it requires us to contribute something, which means that it's going to cost us something. It may cost you time. It may cost you energy. Some situations, it may even cost you money. A lot of times for people, it costs them their self-interest, where instead of looking to ourselves, we need to look to the needs of another. Sometimes it even costs us the need to be right and to say, I'm going to choose to be caring instead of being right in this particular moment. Because kindness is about acting, not retracting from opportunities to increase the happiness and well-being of other people. Now, when we turn to Scripture, we can see this principle vividly displayed in, in one particular story, a very well-known parable, one that you're likely familiar with, and that being the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we find this in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to find it there. If you're watching online, you can just click on above the chat area. There's, there's a Bible online you can follow along. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, if you wish to do so. The setting of this particular parable, Jesus is teaching crowds, which was a common thing for him to do. But in the midst of one of these lessons, a, a lawyer, or rather a scholar of Jewish law, who we refer to as a lawyer, sees him teaching and thinks, you know what, this guy's reputation, the words that he's saying, kind of makes him a worthy opponent for a bit of a, a back and forth. So he decides to test Jesus. And as he walks up to Jesus, he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Modern version of that statement is, is what do I need to do to ensure I'll go to heaven? Would be sort of the modern day equivalent of this question. And so Jesus answers his question with a question common tactic that, uh, that he would use. And he looks at this man and he goes, well, you're an expert in the law. When you read it, what does it say? Well, when you read that law, when you're studying this and you know this and memorize, you interact with it, what do you say that it says? And in verse 27, the lawyer responds. He says, well, it says this. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with, with all your strength, with all your mind, and... Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the first part of that comes from what's referred to as the Shema, uh, found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you want to read a full extended version of that. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5 in particular, which is a confession of faith that devout Jewish people would recite as part of a prayer four times a day, just affirming their commitment and that God was their God and he was, that, that he was their God and they were his people. But the lawyer shows that he doesn't just have knowledge of this, but he actually has an ability to apply and to interact with the law because he adds to the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he adds to it a section from Leviticus 19 where he says, it also says that we're to love our neighbors. Now, the combination of a love for God and a love for neighbors is what, what we who are, are perhaps today familiar with Jesus' teachings would understand to be the greatest commandment. But Jesus hadn't taught that yet. This man is interacting with these passages and putting these things together. Jesus hadn't got to a point where he had taught on that yet, which would come to be known as the greatest commandment. And so Jesus hears this man answer correctly, and he says, correct. If you do that, you will live. Now, how great for this lawyer if, if he had just been satisfied at that point and just said, wonderful, I know the path. I will just follow the path and, and away we go to eternal life. But it didn't end there for him. Because as soon as Jesus says, correct, do this and you will live, he goes, okay, but. Now, has anyone ever cautioned you on using the word but? What happens when you use the word but? It, yeah, exactly. It negates everything that you just said. Everything that was just an agreement that was just established. Yeah, but. And often you're getting to more of the real question. It's more of the real issue and challenge that he had. So he goes, yeah, but. Who's my neighbor? Really, who's my neighbor? And as he asks this question, I think we can reasonably assume that he already has a definition in his head. He's a smart guy. He's interacted with us already. He has a definition in his head. He knows who his neighbors are. My neighbors are the people who live in the same town as me and have the same social class and status as me. My neighbors are the people who go to the same synagogue as me and I know that they believe the same things that I believe. My neighbors are those who are Israelites. They have the same ethnic background as me. That's a neighbor. And so when he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor, I think he already has these things in mind for him. And in a way, he asked this question wanting Jesus to affirm the boundaries that he's already established around this question. Essentially defining who in his mind is a non-neighbor. So Jesus uses opportunity to share this famous parable. The story of a man who is walking from Jerusalem to Jericho down a notoriously dangerous road is, that kind of winds through mountainous areas where there's caves that, that people knew well, thieves would hide in and they would jump out and they would beat you and rob you. And sure enough, in the story of the Good Samaritan, this man is walking from Jerusalem to Jericho and he is attacked. He is stripped, he is beaten, he is robbed, he is left for dead at the side of the road. A short time later, a priest comes along, a leader in the temple of Jerusalem, comes walking down the road and sees the man. Moment of decision. Will he act? Will he retract? And the, he decides to cross the road and to walk on the other side and to avoid the man. A little time later, a Levite, an assistant in the temple of Jerusalem, comes walking down the road and again sees the man sitting there. Moment of decision. Will he act? Will he retract? He too decides to cross the road to the other side and to walk along avoiding the situation. Now to the lawyer, to the expert of the law, this priest and this Levite, these were his co-workers. 
These were people that he knew, people that he in his own mind would already have labeled as neighbors. And the way Jesus is presenting the story, they're not looking like heroes. And perhaps the lawyer would even argue that they had actually done nothing wrong. Because they're not the ones who robbed and beat the guy. They didn't add insult to injury by checking his wallet to make sure the robbers got everything. They didn't technically do anything wrong. And besides, there's a law against touching dead bodies. And what if this guy was already dead and then they, got all, they were unclean and they're on their way to do a service somewhere as a priest and a Levite and they were unclean and they had to cleanse themselves. It would delay them and oh, it's just the headache. So it's better maybe if they steer clear of this potentially unclean dead body. But fortunately, a Samaritan comes down the road. And instead of retracting and moving to the other side of the road, we see him acting and moving to the side of the man who has need. And as Jesus describes the Samaritan's actions, he drives home the point by using this flurry of verbs, these verbs, these action words, this is flurry of verbs. And begin reading in, in verse 33, if you're following along. He says this. He says, when, when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And then going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to the inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man as I have, and if the bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. The Samaritan's role is a ministry of kindness from the very beginning to the very end. And we can see through this example of verbs, this flurry of verbs, it cost him something. It cost him time because he was delayed and needing to care for this man. It cost him self-interest because he wasn't traveling down this road for no reason. He was going somewhere for purpose and he was deterred from that. Uh, he was moved from that to care for this man, to offer care to him. It even perhaps cost him some sense of safety because who knows if the bandits are still in the area. It cost him energy because he had to put the wounded man on his donkey, which means he can't ride the donkey. He has to walk now. And it cost him money because he's paying the bill. He is the clear hero in the story as he's actively contributing to the well-being of another person. Now, this would be very difficult for the lawyer to accept because... To, to label a Samaritan good didn't work. In his mind, he had already labeled Samaritans as non-neighbors. See, because there's this well-known, extensive, mutual, open hostility between Jewish people and Samaritans. The animosity between these two groups of people is so strong that when Jesus asks him the final question of which of these three men was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, the most the lawyer can bring himself to say, he can't say the Samaritan, because to say that he was a good Samaritan is an oxymoron. He can't say that. The most he can bring himself to say, to muster, is the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus concludes by saying, now you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise kindness that requires acting, not retracting, when we encounter these moments of decision, these moments of choice, these moments of choice to, to hold the door and to let somebody walk in, 
these moments of choice to allow somebody to merge with you in traffic. But there's bigger things like that, obviously, too. These moments of choice when we can choose to stand in the gap between those who are being persecuted and the persecutors. There's moments when we can choose to, to give relief to those who are suffering and don't have a means of assistance. You see, it's not enough to be like the priest and the Levite who just walked by, satisfied that they had not added to the man's plight. Because the call of Jesus is to go and do. And that requires acting, not retracting. Now, the way Jesus presents this goes beyond just the contrast between the main characters in the story. We, we can see this principle clearly laid out between the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. But that's not actually the main way Jesus presents this principle. Because what was the man's question? The man's question is, well, who is my neighbor? Which was an attempt to limit who qualified to receive his kindness. But Jesus didn't answer that question. He didn't answer that question. He didn't offer the man criteria by which he could use to define who is a non-neighbor. He said this instead, rather than you worrying about if somebody else is your neighbor, you just go be a neighbor, was the response. He basically rejected the, the, the man's question and said, I'm not going to give you parameters and criteria to decide who's in and who's out. I'm just going to look you square in the eye and tell you to go be a neighbor. That's the answer. That's the solution. And when we consider that, that means... That challenges us to understand that all people are deserving recipients of our kindness. There is no limitations. There is no boundaries and parameters. That if we are being a neighbor, that is the measurement, not who's in, who's out. Not allowing the differences between us to decide if they're worthy of our kindness or not. It doesn't matter where they are from, what they have done, what they believe, what they look like, what the social class come from, who they love, how they vote. They are worthy of our kindness. All people, everyone you meet is a worthy recipient of your kindness. And when we look at this beyond the story of the Good Samaritan, we actually see that that's how Jesus lived out his life in the much of the Gospels of the Bible. Think about much of his ministry was spent among people the religious elite considered non-neighbors. He hung out with tax collectors. He went to their parties. These people who were unjust in stealing from the people of the community. And Jesus invites them to follow him. He hung out with the, lion, with the blind, with the lame, with lepers. These people who were unclean and excluded from society. Jesus would acknowledge them. He would talk to them. He would touch them. Jesus went and talked to a Samaritan woman at a well, which was forbidden because it was a man talking to a woman, a rabbi, yet talking to a woman and a Samaritan woman at that. But yet alone the rest of the world had decided she was worthy of being shunned because of the, the streak of broken relationships that she had. But Jesus knew that she was hurting and that she was alone in this world. And he walked up to that well and he said, I see you. The woman caught in adultery, which we'll talk more about next week, who was guilty. She was guilty of adultery. But she was being used as a pawn to trap Jesus by the religious elite. And Jesus chooses to defend her. 
and to protect her. You see, in each of these examples, we see a pattern for Jesus' ministry that he followed when he related to people. In every single one of these situations, these people had something they needed to deal with. They had sin in their lives. They had conflict. They, they had attitude issues. They had lifestyle adjustments that needed to take place. But in every case, Jesus eventually would call that out and he would say to them something along the lines of, now go and sin no more. He would eventually get there in every situation, but that is not where he began. Where he would begin his interaction with them, he always started with concern, with kindness. And people loved him for it. People listened to him because of it. And they were then willing to allow him into the deeper, more broken parts of their lives because they knew he cared. We read about who Jesus is in John chapter 1, verse 14, where I think as John was sitting back and writing his gospel and he was reflecting upon the ministry of Jesus, you're thinking, how can I define this, this, this one and only son who came down from the Father? He says in, 1 John, in John 1, 14, he says, Jesus, the one and only son of God who came down from the Father, he came down full of of grace and truth. Jesus is the fullness of grace, the fullness of truth that exists perfectly within him in perfect harmony. And both of these are fully revealed in every aspect of his ministry. But as John is writing this, I do not believe it was a coincidence or a mistake that he wrote the word grace first. Because that's what Jesus modeled. He modeled grace, which opened the door for the truth. I think that's what we have the opportunity to do in our lives as well. You know, this past week, uh, Athena had given me a book called Changing the World Through Kindness, which is the story of churches and people who are modeling, basically walking in the footsteps of Jesus in this fashion to live this out and to make a difference in the world. And, and, and I came across this wonderful story of one church who modeled this exact thing. It was a church that did something similar to us, where they, they offer food to those who are in need to those who are shut in and, and can't get in around town. And so this one volunteer named Doug receives his box of food, he receives his address, and he's driving to the location to drop this off. And as he pulls up in front of the location, he checks the address, and sure enough, this is it. But the first thing he notices is that right there in the window is this pink neon sign depicting palm reader Madam Sheila. Now, he knows the danger of the occults, and, and he's pretty uncomfortable with the idea of going into this place. In his mind, his initial knee-jerk reaction is, this is a non-neighbor. And he even thought to himself, he admits, he even thought to himself, there is no way I'm giving church food to these people. His initial reaction was to retract, not to act. Well, reluctantly, he went in. And as he walks in, he sees 12 people that are sitting in the waiting room. And he sees behind a desk Sheila's niece, who is a single mother who had actually initiated the call looking for the food. And so Doug walks up to the counter and identifies himself. And when he hands her the food, he then says, hey, can I just ask you why? Like, why did you reach out to us to offer the food? And her response was quite simple. She says, well, I heard that you help out anyone. Anyone who has need at all, if they just call that you will bring them food. And, and, and we're out of, like, everything. I didn't know who else to call. 
is, is it okay that, that I receive food from your church even though, even though I don't go there? He said, yes, absolutely. It is perfectly fine. Anyone who has need, we will deliver food to. And then before he left, he offered to pray for her. And she accepted. And so right there, in the waiting room of Madam Sheila's palm reading, he prayed for her niece, for her, <clears throat> excuse me, for her niece. And then Madam Sheila came out in the midst of the prayer. People in the waiting room were watching and listening as this happened. And as he finished praying with the niece, people in the waiting room said, did you pray for me? And he started praying for them, one by one, throughout the waiting room. And suddenly this little impromptu prayer meeting broke out in the waiting room of Madam Sheila's prom reading. And when he got to the end, he, he just felt like maybe there's something more. And so he said, would anyone like to repent and receive Jesus while I'm here? Six hands shot up. And he thought, maybe, maybe they didn't understand what I'm saying. Like I, in one of my prayers, I kind of half shared the gospel. And maybe they don't understand quite what I'm talking about. And so he launched into a second, more complete explanation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he said again, would anyone like to repent and receive Jesus? Eight hands shot up this time. And right there, he prayed with these people. In the waiting room of Madam Sheila's, eight new believers entered into the kingdom of God. What an incredible example of a ministry that walks in the footsteps of Jesus that opens the door through kindness to allow truth to come in. How different would that story have gone if Doug had approached it from the direction of the lawyer who was like, these are non-neighbors. Imagine if he had excluded them because of their differences. And so I'm not giving them any food. Well, then he wouldn't have had the chance to give them the gospel either. He wouldn't have had a chance to press into the deepest needs that exist in their lives. What if he had said, you know, I'm going to dump the food out of this box, and you know what they need? They need truth. I'm going to fill this box with Bibles. I'm going to fill it with literature. I'm going to walk in there and tell them what's what. That would have potentially addressed a need they had, but how would they have responded? I guarantee you they would have felt judged. I guarantee you they would not have trusted Doug. And they probably, hopefully, maybe would have politely asked him to be on his way. And that's about as far as he would have gotten. See, there is a time and there is a place for Bibles and literature and religious enthusiasm. But I firmly believe that it is a place that best follows genuine acts of kindness. You see, when we try that first... It starts to break down these walls of darkness that allows the truth, that seed, to plant and take root. And I think our world could use a lot more kindness, amen? People where you live, where you work, where you play could use more kindness. I read an article this week about the increase in abuse on restaurant workers during the COVID season, in particular in some of the sunnier locations, where 16-year-olds are simply trying to enforce the rules of asking patrons to wear masks as they come and go, and customers are yelling and screaming and throwing food and smashing plates at a 16-year-old who is simply asking people to wear masks because her manager requires her to do so. And then she goes home crying. This is happening... In Canada, 
<laughs> We're known for being friendly and kind, aren't we? <sighs> I don't want to tell a lot of stories like that because regardless of what side of these news stories we find ourselves on, they're so often defined these days by anger and division. No matter what side you might find yourself on politically on these issues or, or whatnot, can I just encourage you that before you speak, before you comment, before you share a post, before you engage in those dialogues, just ask yourself, am I being kind? Am I contributing to the well-being of people before we do those things? And then pray that God would give opportunities to act in kindness and that that would open doors for us then to share truth with people. So how do we do this? How do we live this out? How do we go and do likewise? How do we reveal the fruit of the spirit of kindness? Well, remember what we've been saying throughout this series. That the fruit of the spirit is not a discipline. It's a miracle of God working in you. It's not a matter of just looking inward and mustering more strength and self-determination and I'm going to be more kind. Because it might work for a while, but it's going to be fleeting and it may even be disingenuous. No, the way that we do this is by pressing deeper into our relationship with Jesus Christ. By pressing deeper into him and allowing him to work in you and then through you. And you may have missed this, but that is actually present in the story of the Good Samaritan as well. That's actually in the passage we saw here today as well. Because remember, what was the first question the lawyer asked Jesus? The first question he asked him was this, what must I do to gain eternal life? And what did Jesus affirm as the right answer? He said, love God with your whole being. And then love your neighbor as yourself. You see, to love God begins with realizing that we can't do this on our own. I don't just mean we can't do the act of kindness on our own. I mean, I mean aspects of life. We can't even do aspects of life on our own successfully. And, and I don't want to speak for anybody here, anybody who's watching me online right now, but uh, for myself, and I've got a feeling a lot of you can agree with me, is that when I press into self-determination, there are some things I can do pretty well. There are some things I can be fairly successful at, and it works for a time. But even in the midst of the success, there's this nagging sense that something is lacking. Something is missing. Something is not quite up to snuff where it could be. And as I look back at the wake of my times of self-determination, there is, is sometimes quasi-success. Quite often there is failure. And sometimes there's even brokenness and harm done to others. The passage we read earlier in the day from Titus chapter 3 actually begins by talking about this. Where in, in Titus 3 verse 3, it says, At one time we were foolish. We were disobedient. We are deceived. We are enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We once lived in malice and we lived in envy. Being hated and hating one another. The Bible calls that sin. And sin creates this gap between us and God, between our self-determined imperfection and the perfect wisdom, power, holiness, purity, and love of God. And there's a gap between us. And we can look at that and understand ourselves to be somewhat spiritually left wounded and broken at the side of the road. 
And we would expect, therefore, if that is our condition, we would expect a holy God to retract from us. To cross the street on the other side is so not to make himself unclean. But Jesus Christ, but Jesus, how amazing the loving kindness of Jesus towards us who did not retract from us but acted for us. Moved towards us. He did not cross the road to avoid us. He crossed the void of sin that we could be created in unity with God which is what verse 4 and 5 of Titus 3 talks about when it says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared and saved us, not because of what we had done, not because of any righteousness that exists within us, but because of his loving mercy. See, Jesus is the hero of your story. And his kindness is defined by acting, not retracting. Jesus saw you. He came to you. He cared for you. He healed your wounds. He picked up your sins and carried them to the cross. And he then said, I will pay for him. I will pay for her. And when we choose to receive the healing power of Jesus Christ into our lives, we're not just healed spiritually, we're not just forgiven. But the Bible says that we become new creations with a new hope, with a new future, with new passions. And those come through the Holy Spirit that lives within us and then empowers us to live out the fruits of the Spirit. That's how we go and do likewise. By pressing into God. The love of God that empowers and that impassions the loving kindness in us and through us. Therefore, it is a kindness that acts, not a kindness that retracts for the well-being of others. As is modeled by Jesus, finds its source in Jesus, and ultimately can serve to point other people toward Jesus. Now in just a moment, we're going to have the opportunity to remember and to celebrate this loving kindness through communion. But before we do that, I just have to ask, if there's anybody who has heard perhaps for the first time or a time in the past and being reminded today of God's loving kindness for them, whether they're here in person or if they're watching online, but they have never accepted, they have never taken that step to say yes, thank you. Perhaps there are people who have wandered away during this COVID season or even a season before. You know, some of the stats are showing us that from the middle of March when the churches started to shut down, 48% of regular churchgoers have disengaged completely. If you find yourself in that 48%, you are wandering on a path that is different than the one that God has called you towards. And if that is the case, then you need, may need to say yes to Jesus again today. Because you are never more than one moment, one decision, one step from beginning or restarting that relationship with him in your life again today. Because he stands ready to receive you. He paid the price for your sins because he loves you. He wants to spend eternity with you. And he offers that gift to all people today, simply requiring them to believe and to receive. And if you find yourself in that spot today, you're either wanting to make that first time decision or wanting to recommit yourself today, then you can click online right now when you say, I raise my hand and say yes. If you are here in the sanctuary with us today, you can raise your hand and say yes to Jesus today and I will pray with you. 
Perhaps there are those as well who are followers of Jesus already. And you are struggling with this idea of kindness. Generally speaking, you're not mean. But maybe bitterness rules more than anything else in a heart. Maybe there's a specific people group that you really struggle with that you said, you know what, I do have my boundaries. There are people that I do label non-neighbors. If you find yourself in that situation today and you want to confess that and you want to say, yes, I need more of Jesus. Yes, I need more kindness to come in me and through me. Then you also can click online with the, yes, I raise my hand and accept that today. And even the sanctuary here today, we can raise our hands and say, yes, I want more Jesus and more kindness to come in me and through me today. And for all those who want to make that profession of faith, I invite you to pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your loving kindness. Where you did not step back from us, which is ultimately what we deserved. But Lord, that you stepped into the gap that we had created between us and the Father. That out of your love, you wanted to establish this relationship that we could be with you. We could know you for all of eternity. But also, Lord, in the here and now, that we could live for you and know what it means to have a life that is better with Jesus. So, Lord, for those who are listening to my voice right now who do not have that relationship with you but know that they need to say yes, I pray, God, that right now in this moment they would say, yes, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying for my sins upon the cross. Thank you for paying the price that I could not. Thank you that you gave your life to forgive me, to make me a new creation, to give me new impassions. As you gave your life for me, I now give you mine. And Lord, for those who are also here with us today, who know that, that sometimes anger and bitterness reigns more than kindness, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, that we would just feel the power of the spirit that is within us just well up and impassion us to tear down any walls or barriers of who would be a non-neighbor and just simply profess, I will be a neighbor. I will go forth and reveal the kindness of God to others, whether they deserve it or not, because he showed it to me and I did not deserve it, Lord. Thank you for being our source and being our example. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so we now come to an opportunity to share in communion and worship through that sense. This is, this is where it all begins. Where in communion we remember and we celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus made that, that made it possible for us to be free of our sins. That we could have a relationship with God now and throughout all eternity. And that was accomplished as he gave himself up to be handed over to be tried, to be condemned, to be beaten, and to be crucified. And one of the elements that we have is the bread that is symbolic of his body, which was broken for us. The other element is the cup, symbolic of his blood that he shed, that as he gave his life through the shedding of his blood, that we would receive life. And so if you're at home right now and you can distribute these elements amongst yourselves during this next song, for those who are in person with us right now, we're going to invite you to come row by row and our ushers will assist you with this. To come forward row by row and we will hand you the elements so you take them back to your seats during this song. And then following the song, I will lead us all in taking of the elements together. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. For the gift of loving kindness shown in his sacrifice. 
that through his death we would receive life, the greatest paradox that exists in history. Lord, those who are here with us or who are listening, God, if there are things that are resolved between you and them, things, the sin in their life or, or challenges between them and a brother or sister, I pray, God, that this would be a reminder and a prompt to go resolve that to take this moment of reflection and preparation to, to deal with any of those things that we would be able to reaffirm today our unity with one another and ultimately our unity with you. We thank you for the cross.